Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast, where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. Hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I just started recording, by the way. Oh, Saren's gone now. That's what Saren does. She records and then leaves. I wrote a lovely intro for you. Would you like, would you like to hear it? Are you off book? Um, no, I'm not. I'm not off book, sadly. I'm very rusty. Mary Lee. Um, I it's know. a cold read, though. It's a cold read. It's cold read. It's cold read. And I'm dyslexic, so my cold reads tend not to be great. Okay. Our guest today is an extremely talented performer. He can sing, dance. He plays multiple instruments. He is as adept as a comedian as he is as a dramatic performer. He's been on Broadway in Falsettos, Grand Night for Singing, Stardust, among others. He has starred in Ragtime, Wicked, Lucky Stiff, and Forever Plaid, and has been seen on television shows from the Dukes of Hazard to Friends to Six Feet Under. He has won multiple awards for his hilarious and touching cabaret shows. And I am happy to have this old friend here with us today. He makes me laugh like nobody else. Please welcome Mr. Jason Graw. Jason to stage, please. Jason Graw to stage. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. The voice of Lucky Charms. The voice of Lucky Charms. She did not include that, Jason. My son came in. (laughs) Subtle. (laughs) He's showing us his giant poster of his Lucky Charms. A massive, like six foot by three foot poster of (laughs) Lucky Charms. My son said, I don't care what else he's done. His greatest achievement is the voice of Lucky Charms. So that's where you stand with 15 year olds, Jason. I know. I know. It's downhill from there. I'll take. (laughs) But I'm not the voice anymore. So I now only eat tricks. So, Jason, I this podcast, we try to sort of get to understand creativity and where it comes from in people and how it's generated in your life. What's your process when you, and you do so much? I mean, you really do. You I, how many instruments do you even play? Like three or four, right? Uh, yeah, but really well, two piano and oboe. Oh, oh, wow. What about the clarinet? I thought you were really good on the clarinet as well. No, people always think it's a clarinet. I must make my oboe sound like a clarinet, but <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, it's, you know, they're both oblong and black. Which instrument came first, piano or oboe? Yes. So I started with piano, Stephanie, to uh, answer that. And uh, then I, I really wanted to play clarinet after I heard Peter and the Wolf. Mm-hmm. Remember that old thing? Yes. By mm-hmm. And we all heard it in elementary school and it was yes. our way of being introduced to all the instruments and all that. So I really related to the cat. I really liked that cat. And I had a weird name and my parents were divorced and I'd moved from Chicago to Oklahoma and I didn't want to do anything outside the norm. I wanted to do something normal. And clarinet was about as normal an instrument as you could find. So I was like, I want to play it. I want to play it. And uh, the band director, Mrs. Beard, talked to my mom and said, he excels in music. He did really well in some music aptitude test, which I don't know what that would be, but she said I did well in it. And uh, so she talked to my mother into having me take up the oboe. And do you find that you still are able to use that or incorporate that in your musical life, whether it's your you know, one man show or whatever gigs that you're doing? I do. I put it away for a long time because I was an oboe major in college at SMU in Dallas. And then I transferred. I hated my teacher so bad at SMU. Like I hated him. And so I quit. And so I lost my scholarship. Then I transferred to Cincinnati Conservatory. And I got accepted as an oboe major and as a musical theater major. And my teacher the crappy Devere Moore, <laughs> I call him, transferred. He transferred to Cincinnati the same year I did from SMU. He was stalking you. Totally stalking me. So I was like, this is a sign from the musical theater gods to put down the oboe and pick up the score to pajama game. Now, your parents were both in the theater, weren't they? Or your father was a musician. Your mother was in the theater. Wow. Is that right? 
You've done like research. I've done a little research. It's so unlike you to be interested in me, Mary Lee. <laughs> um, I have to say, my dad did play cello. He played a cello in the Elmhurst Symphony, a suburb of Chicago. He was a scientist from Denmark, but he was a really wonderful cellist. And my mother was a dancer in New York City. And then she got married and put that aside. But yes, it was a very musical household. You know, I remember before I ever met you, I remember listening to the score, the recording of uh, Lucky Stiff mm. and thinking it was the most hilarious thing. I just love that musical, but I, I didn't know who you were. And I listened to that telephone song that you did, and it would make me laugh out loud every time I listened to it. <laughs> and so I try to think, like, what is it about your comedy, even on your little the little YouTube things that you do, where you rewrite the songs? And I was trying to sort of analyze what is it that makes you so funny? And what I think it is. Tell me, tell me what it is. Totally commit to what you're doing, but you're still in on the joke. Does that make sense? Like there are comedians that commit to what they do, like like Will Ferrell. And he's totally committed. So you just go with it because he's so funny. But you somehow have this little glimmer in your eye that you're in on the joke with the rest of us. And I find it. Totally engaging. <laughs> totally. I think you are so it's a great way to describe without commenting on it. Right. There's also exactly. comedians that I'm in on the joke and now I'm going to comment or give a disclaimer as exactly. to the comedy. But you don't do that. That's amazing. I didn't know that I was that good. I would like to say that that thing that you just said about commenting, because I was going to respond to you and say, I think it, you know, I. I don't I'm not aware of that, but thank you. And I understand totally what you mean. And but I did. I was a big commenter from way back. I love mm. to do the wink, wink at the audience. And, you know, <laughs> and I did Forbidden Broadway and Forbidden Hollywood. And that's, you know, I mean, you had to infuse those, you know, each character with life. And it was just a song. You had three minutes to, you know, bring something to life and then it was done. And so you, it had to be grounded in some sort of reality or it was just a big shtick show. Right, right. But it also, you know, you always, I always wanted to. The best Forbidden Broadway people didn't, but I always had the little wink, wink to the audience that, you know, so I, I think as years went by, the wink decreased. I'm now, did you audience. both meet each other on Ragtime? Yes. And it was you like, did. when I met Mary Lee, it was like a ton of bricks hit me because mm -hmm. we, we, it was a fast and furious like affair. What I find so interesting, Imel, is that you just said you would hear him on an Aaron's and Flaherty and yeah. then full circle, you guys are on stage together in an Aaron's and Flaherty. Nice. Oh, that's special. That's special. Nice. Time for Lynn and Steven to write a show for us, Jay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm available. Mm -hmm. so available. As am I. <laughs> How did your relationship with them begin? How did it begin with Stephen and, and Lynn? Oh, my God. It's been an, it's been a relationship. Stephen went to Cincinnati Conservatory mm. and as a composition major and he played piano for, you know, for the musical theater workshops. And I think he was in the pits and he played at some lessons and he was composing stuff at the time. And we did a couple little workshops of his things. And it was like, OK, he's really good. Then moved to New York. And I did his very first collaboration in ASCAP. He met Lynn Ahrens in at the ASCAP workshop and right. the BMI workshop. They were in both of them. And they started working on this show, Bedazzled, based on the movie with Dudley Moore and Peter Cook. And so I did all the readings, all the demo tapes. Judy Blazer did them with mm. me. And they started writing songs for me. They wrote a song about that Stanley plays the oboe, and I got to play my oboe in one of the songs. So I was invaluable at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Those Skip were two ellipses. <laughs> Those were the days, my friend. We thought they'd never end. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we were we were doing them at the Dramatist Guild. We would do them for Sondheim and Stephen Schwartz and Richard Maltby and Charles Strauss, and they would critique them. And I remember at one of the. Uh, I guess it was the Dramatist Guild, and, and we do sing for all these great Broadway songwriters. And Stephen Sondheim began his critique with, well, first, let me say, I am your biggest fan. Oh, great. Oh, uh, did gosh. you have T-shirts made? Please oh, tell me you had T-shirts made. No, I oh, should have made shoot. them for them. But they were the golden children right off the bat. And they, they were so delightful and so full of humility. And they just 
they were just the perfect match. They just work together. They fit together like a glove. They're just, they're very nurturing and they're, they, you know, they're, they're like in awe of what, of the world that they're in. And they've still retained that. Yeah. And they, you can they, hear it in their music. You can yeah. hear that yeah. awe and beauty and poetry in their music. Yeah. yeah. For sure. It's, it's yeah. And ragtime. I mean, you know, that was such an exciting time. Mary Lee, by the way, you were an incredible mother. Yes. Oh, you're so kind, Jason. No, oh my no, God. no, no, he's really not. So when he says that compliment, <laughs> I'm such it a is, dick. <laughs> it's based on merit. But you were. Oh, my gosh. Blowing. Did you see her do it? I did. Yes. When you were out here in L.A.? When I was in L.A., yes. Oh, my God. I felt so lucky to be a part of that show in any way. Do you remember that it was right after our, it was the like less than a week after opening night? That's when the little boy walks through the door when you guys were the new Rochelle doing your tableau yeah. and he walks through the door going, bah, 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 and he <laughs> says the thing and then he shuts the door and it's supposed to Velcro shut. And then the piece flies out and it didn't shut Velcro. Uh. The Velcro didn't catch it. So the door was like swing, hanging, swinging open and it went up into the fly space and dislodged and crashed down onto the stage. I'm hanging upside down as Houdini in my straitjacket and handcuffs hanging upside down from <laughs> 60 feet above the stage oh looking at this. When shit happens, what the heck's going to happen? Yeah. And I was just dangling there and the audience screamed and they brought the curtain in and then there was an announcement. They're like 20 minutes. They, they brought me back up. So then they made an announcement. The stage manager made an announcement saying, ladies and gentlemen, everyone's fine backstage at ragtime. We're going to uh, start the show over and the audience screamed and cheered and then he goes the roles usually played uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> everybody's fine and then there are three replacements on isn't it wild though the amount of trust like a technical disaster we all re-enter stage and we don't go is something going to fall on our head or am I going to get, you know, is this trap door going to open? And I'm going to fall 12 feet to my paralysis. We just <laughs> trust, right? Yeah. Isn't that remarkable? It's part of yeah, the magic. Walk through a, it is part of the magic. And yeah. we're crazy. It shows you that we're crazy and that though fearful underneath, we are basically a fearless group. Do you find that sort of trust bleeds into other aspects of your life? Well, that's a really interesting question. I think I'm basically a suspicious sort. I think I, I go to, into every situation with a raised eyebrow, but mm -hmm. I'm also game. You know, I am game. And it, when I jump into a new show or work with a new person, I'm there and I jump into it wholeheartedly. I'm very mm -hmm. optimistic and maybe sometimes not rightly so but i jump into every situation like oh this is going to be great and then my eyebrow starts to raise maybe like on day three <laughs> which skepticism i think is healthy right there's a diff i was just told a couple days ago are you a skeptic or are you a critic because there's a big difference between mm -hmm. those two words and mm -hmm. they're like it's healthy to be skeptical as long as you're malleable but if you walk in with already developed criticisms or, you know, fears and, and, and sort of storylines that you carry with you that are not going to help you move forward, then you got a problem. Then it's baggage. It's baggage. You're bringing in baggage. And that's good stuff to leave at the door. And you've had, you've had more longevity than almost anybody. I mean, you, you've been going in this business forever. So something you're doing is serving you for sure. I can't do anything else. I don't know what, like, what would I do? I, you know, I'd be an oboe player. I would be an oboe player. And people say, you know, what would you do if you couldn't act anymore? <laughs> and uh, kiss today, goodbye. <laughs> I would like to so pick up my oboe. But yeah, you know, you keep doing it. And I bought a house, you know, in the Hollywood Hills when I was making a lot of money and I was doing a lot of TV. And then the TV kind of dried up. And then I was like, oh, well, now I got to I just got to keep working to afford this place. And so, you know, now I'm a journeyman and uh, I like it. And you make a lot of your own work with all your cabarets, right? Yeah. You know, we all do that as artists. You know, you try to figure out, OK, next month I got the bills paid and next month and we're going to, you know, this is coming up and this concert's going to come up and that'll cover this. And, and so I, I lived that way for a long time. Then I got into Wicked and it was like, OK, 
a year and a half and I don't have to, they've, they've got it all covered. I'm making my nice living. I don't have to worry about anything. And I enjoyed that. Stephanie, I believe you've done Wicked once or twice. I am familiar with that. I thought you heard of, of musical it. Theater. Yes. You know, Wicked is going to be the first tour that does come back when all is safe to resume. Yeah. Wicked will be that first musical to do that. Yeah. And yet today I had to go get my, my COVID first COVID test of this year ah. for my upcoming colonoscopy. Hmm. Oh, lovely. Oh, so many C words that aren't necessarily my favorite. You know what I mean? not my favorite either. It's a lot. <laughs> well, so I got my test today and so I'm going to find out the results later. I'm really excited. <laughs> Tell me about your Jimmy Herman show that you've been working on. Well, it just finished streaming. It was a co-production with uh, Musical Theater West that I'm sure you're oh. familiar with. And yes. 42nd Street Moon in San Francisco, which is one of my favorite theater companies. And I've worked up there a lot. And so they co-produced it. We They shot it in Long Beach at Music Theater West. They made a rehearsal space into a beautiful cabaret room. And I got to stand there with John Boswell, the, my amazing, one of my great musical directors I get to work with. And, uh, and we, we got to do it, you know, kind of live. I mean, they filmed it and then they streamed it for five weeks. And uh, nobody could laugh, which oh. is like, it's just hurting my soul. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, I sing those songs fine, but the comedy is kind of what makes it kind of interesting. Yeah, it's the feedback you need. A little feedback. And there was no audience at all? No. And the people just there were three camera guys and two uh, sound people and then the two producers and the a music guy because they couldn't laugh because of continuity and all that. But I could see that they were laughing and that was more than I'd gotten <laughs> in yeah. a month. <laughs> yeah, so sure. Thrilled. I was thrilled. So, um, yeah, you know, I've spent so much time with Jerry Herman in the last 20 years. I mean, I really have done so many shows and jobs with him. And I was so lucky to be in this man's world. And oh. and so I had all these songs and stories and there's a lot of both. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to ride on his coattails some more. <laughs> so I, I put this show together a few years ago. And this is the first time we'd actually done it since he passed away mm. a year ago in December. So it's very moving. And I was saying I was changing all the verbs from is Jerry does this to he did this and uh -huh. he was this. And, you know, and it was moving. I got choked up, you know, a few times. How did that relationship begin? Well, I met him. When I was auditioning for the national tour of Hello, Dolly in 1983 with Carol Channing, and wow. I was auditioning for Barnaby Tucker, and my friend Davis Gaines was auditioning for Cornelius, and we would like we were practicing together, and he he was so missing the mark. I was like, Ugh, Davis, and I was like so dead on for Barnaby. So Davis <laughs> got it, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get a call back. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked because I was like, this is it. What's the matter with these people? He only got it because of your feedback. The feedback. I'm so. sure that's what it was. Of course, that's what it no was. No doubt. Believe me. He should have given me 10%, not the gauge group, but whatever. <laughs> so that happened. And then I was down. I was down to the end for Lacage for the sun. Ah. And so I seen Jerry at auditions and he'd seen me in a couple shows and, you know, but there was never any sort of, you know, connection. And then in 2000, I went out on a tour. Uh, Michael Kirker at ASCAP put together this yep. tour of a show called Hello, Jerry. And it was with Jerry and Don Pippen, his musical director for years. And so we traveled the country together. And so we got to know him really, really well. Since what feeds you is the laughter and the response in this last year, what has fed you? I did have something that fed me creatively. I took a writing class for almost, I started in March and I took it through December. Um, I stopped taking it in December because I dried up. I had nothing to say. Was it a playwriting class? No. 
I mean, we, you could write plays, but it was it was not for screenwriting. She said we can cover everything except for screenwriting. So if you mm. want to write a play, that's great. But it was memoirs, essay, fiction. Uh, and the teacher was Claudette Sutherland, is Claudette Sutherland. Might you know who she is? Musical I do not. Theater no. friends of mine? No. No. She was... Here's your musical theater history lesson for today. She was the original Smitty in How to Succeed in Business. And she's a force of nature. And I'd met her, you know, at events around town. And she was always like, I'm going to get you over here and write. And, you know, I write for my club acts. I write patter and all that. But I would never in a million years think of myself as a writer. And did you find that you were writing more fiction than anything else? Is that what you were drawn to? Uh, The fiction is what... Uh, everybody said, oh, wow, this is this is your thing. This is what you do. And the fiction, of course, is what terrified me the most to yeah, sit down and start something from scratch and not know where you're headed. And but the two times that I dabbled in it were the my, my two biggest successes in this particular class. And yet I shied away from it like crazy. Do you find that that's sort of a process for you? So when you're starting something creative, do you go through a a fearful process? Always. Always. So it wasn't just with the writing, it's with everything. It is. Writing is, you know, you're so filled with self-doubt because there's nobody there to rehearsal, to bounce ideas off of with. There's nobody there to direct you or to help you or to respond to you. You're just all in your head. You know, it's, it is a quarantine. Writing is being in quarantine. When you're creating something, say it's, if you're doing your own show or working with people, I don't always, I'm not that guy. That's like, what would be funny here? What's a funny line here to say? Because as soon as anybody asks me that, I freeze. I'm like, oh, God, that's too much pressure. I don't know. I can't think of anything funny. I've never been funny in my life, you know. (laughs) And then you'll just be taking a shower, taking a run around the Hollywood Reservoir, not even thinking about it. And it comes crashing into your head. You're like, that's it. Yeah. That's how I like to write. And. You know, I I had said to Claudette at the beginning of the writing class, I said, you know what, I'm really good on a deadline. Everything I did all through life, everything was a deadline. When we act, when we do shows, there is a deadline. Mm -hmm. We have a finite amount of rehearsal time and we have to get everything done by, you know, next week. You got to be off book for act one. I mean, there's so many deadlines for us always. And so I said, I would like to develop this as a discipline and do what you said. Get up every morning, write 20 minutes you know, do that. And I did that for about three days. (laughs) (laughs) And I ended up going right back to my class was on Monday. And on Saturday night, I started panicking. (laughs) And then (laughs) Sunday, I was just like, MIA all day, just like writing and panicking. And I would come up with something. I always came up with something. Are you a procrastinator just by nature? in school or practicing the oboe or piano when you were young or mostly oboe came really early to me uh, uh, came early to me <laughs> <laughs> oboe came so easy to me i shouldn't have had that second martini i'm like oh, <laughs> always, always you, should. you know always. obviously always sure <laughs> sultry voice always should yeah, no, oboe came easy. So therefore I practiced it all the time because it was so, oh. you know, it was just, it was so fulfilling and it made me so happy. And then the stuff that was hard, I pushed that back to the last minute. Also, you guys procrastinators? I don't know. I don't, I don't think I procrastinate when it comes to like busy work and scheduling things. Like, you know, I always have my lists before I go to bed. I have to wake up. I have to know my list. I can't go to sleep. I don't have lists. But 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 I think because I'm dyslexic, if I don't stay very task oriented, I I feel stress. Mm. So I have to stay task oriented. But then when it comes to creative projects, I have to force myself to carve out time because I tend to put it on the back burner. I think because it is scary to show your creative thoughts and process and the things that you create that just come from you, it's really frightening the thought of being criticized for that. So I tend mm-hmm. to be super organized and um, task oriented at busy work. But when creative work comes around, I tend to say, oh, I could find something else to do where I can't be criticized. You know, mm-hmm. that's what I do. I'm a pretty great planner. 
when there are expectations involved, especially with a third party, I'm pretty darn good. But yes, self sort of uh, discipline, trying to create, again, just starting from my own well or my own person. No, I need a nudge. And that is one thing that I actually learned during COVID. I thought I was always very much a self-starter and could always find inspiration within, but I had to recognize that a good chunk of my life, I have been fed inspiration just by being offered opportunities and projects and scripts. And so fielding that stuff always made me feel like I was generating creativity Mm -hmm. and creating something Mm -hmm. no matter where I was, you know, always singing in a car or rehearsing or taking a class or, but when all of that with COVID kind of disappeared and nobody's expectations were on the other end, we were all just quote unquote surviving. Mm -hmm. Right. I found that my well went really dry, even though I was completely aware of it and kept trying to be my own cheerleader and the days would pass and the months would pass Mm -hmm. and a year passed. And I went, what have you created? All the while trying to give myself grace saying, well, I'm creating a a very imaginative and very uh, creative life space for my kid. I've never been more of an actor in my frigging life as Mm -hmm. you have to be for a five-year-old from 6.30 in the morning till 7.30 at night. Everything from, you know, a singing burrito to, I mean, it (laughs) it doesn't matter. And that imaginative play Mm -hmm. may, looking back, may have filled what I thought was um, empty. You know, it was just... It wasn't resulting in a paycheck and it wasn't resulting in applause and it certainly wasn't resulting in anything I could put on my resume. But boy, was I creative in that regard. Who is the singing burrito? (laughs) Oh, I've made her up. I'm also a baby oyster. I'm also a magical never made a delicious, but magical unicorn that poops rainbows. Oh, Jason, it goes on and on. on. Which brings me back to the colonoscopy. <laughs> May they fi- Here's a new toast with our second margarita. May they find rainbows in your colon. Cheers. <laughs> if only that's all they find. Oh, my God. <laughs> this year's been a year of a lot of, as you say, all of everything you said I, uh, resonated, Stephanie, um, you know, because we just we're like pinballs. We just kind of go where the work sends us all the time. And sometimes it's really busy and sometimes not as much. But, you know, this year it all stopped. And I mean, I took absolutely every video opportunity to sing on a video to do a benefits for theater companies or cabarets that were going under or the actors fund, or, you know, all those kind of things. And. I there was one thing for the actress fund I did. I was in this room and I threw this chair against the door. You know, those things like the group things. I don't know if you've done any of like the group stuff. It was like a, a very upbeat, but slightly political, but also very upbeat thing. And you have to like clap at the beginning of the of the mm-hmm. song. And then you have to wait. I didn't come into like bar 100. My part. <laughs> so, but you have to start at the beginning. So you're like. Three, four, and then you get to where you enter and you go, I know that I, and then you're off one beat and you're like, <laughs> so then you got to start over and tap two, three, four, into <laughs> it. And I got up really calmly and I took this chair and I threw it against the door. <laughs> I broke, I broke the doorknob off the door. <laughs> Out of frustration. See, when you first told the story, I was like, ooh, he's getting into it. Like it was part of the act of some kind. No, no, you just simply lost your mind. And I lost my mind. I had to okay. throw your chair. Yeah. Were you were you locked in the room once you broke the doorknob off? Did someone have to come and let you out? No, but uh, my husband came around. Says so everything okay? Says <laughs> 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 everything yeah, okay? <laughs> <laughs> What's been the longest period, if I can ask, where you didn't know where the next gig was coming from, or have you always been able to then jump into voiceover work or jump into creating your, you know, singular? one man show or yeah there was always something i did mm-hmm. i've never had this kind of space mm-hmm. um you know of not working um there was always something like in new york i i had a couple survival jobs when i first got there i did singing telegrams um 
Vicki Lewis and I um, sang, did singing <laughs> telegrams for some dumb company. And it was a great way to see New York. And we were like running around a little organ grinder, you know, little pillbox hats and little <laughs> monkey suits, you know. And uh, so we did, I think I did like three of those and Vicky did about three. And then we, uh, and then I, I think I bartended one rock concert at the Beacon Theater. That was like the only like job job I ever had. And the rest of the time I was always working, you know, doing something. So I was grateful for that. So what's next on the horizon for you? Uh, after the colonoscopy? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, after they pull the rainbows out. <laughs> Yank those rainbows out. <laughs> um, always after me, lucky charms. Um, <laughs> let's see. I oh, I do. I think we're doing. We're having a forever plaid reunion concert. It was the 30th anniversary, and we did one last year at the Ventura County Fairgrounds. We did a week of concerts at a drive-in. They made it like we were on stage, and then there were everybody was in their cars around us. Oh, fun! Most of the original cast, um, except Larry Rabin. Larry Rabin. Love Larry Rabin. Who doesn't? He's so sweet. No, and if you don't, I talk about trust. I don't trust you. If you don't like Larry. I'm sorry. I cannot trust you. <laughs> who else? What was the, who are the original cast members? He owes me money. Um, <laughs> David Engel, of course. Yes, his and, husband. Uh, and uh, Guy Stroman mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Stan Chandler. That was the original cast. And I was the first one to leave. I was like, did it for a year. You know, I'd never been in like a hit show. And it was like I was in it a year. And I was like, OK, <laughs> that was great. So you didn't have necessarily something lined up. You just felt like I had completed what I needed to with this material and it's time to creatively move on. Well, I was waiting for something and I did get another job. It was at the York okay. Theater where I think I was making 120 bucks a week. But uh, I left a f- plaid to do a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. The rest is history. But uh, didn't the producers of Forever Plaid do something really interesting? Like they gave all the actors a piece of it. Is that correct? I remember hearing Stuart that. Ross did that. The creator. Back in the day. Yeah, that's huh? really cool. It was really cool. And he kept telling us that because we were doing it for free. I mean, I had done it as a two act play before we opened in New York. But when we were workshopping it and rehearsing it and we work on it once uh, once a week, we'd perform it at the triad called Steve McGraw's back then. And um and Stuart kept saying, you know, he said, I promise I'll make it up to you. And we weren't under any sort of contract. And he certainly didn't have to do that. And and he did. And we made some money. And, you know, it was very, very generous and um, very appreciated. I wish it always was that way, because so many times you do all that work and then it just nothing. I, I wish you were always that way, that actors just got a, a little piece of the pie is all they really yeah. need. Once to the producers recoup, then, yeah, getting something on the back end. Back to the colonoscopy. <laughs> I knew that was coming. If I didn't say it first, Jason, you know you were going to try. I was I holding saw. on. <laughs> Look, don't project your back end humor on me. <laughs> I would never sink to such levels. <laughs> I was. I was clenching. Every oh, you're so cheeky. Clenching. So cheeky. Cheeky. But, but seriously, so, <laughs> I think we're doing. Yeah, yeah. We're doing. Uh, I was really looking forward to this today, and I don't know why. <laughs> we were doing. We're going to do another uh, like two weeks in Long Beach, I think, this summer, and then uh, um, and hopefully it's all going to work out. I probably shouldn't say anything, so I probably jinx it. But hopefully we're going to all be back together again and do Forever Plaid at Musical Theater West. They're going to. They want to do an outdoor concert. And then I'm doing a two-person play with Linda Pearl. Do you know Linda Pearl? I do not. Linda Pearl, you would just recognize her. She's been on every TV show. She played Fonzie's girlfriend, I think, on Happy Days. Not Pinky Tuscadero. Do not tell me you're doing a play with Pinky Tuscadero. I don't know that she's Pinky (gasps) Tuscadero. I'm not sure if it's her not. Googler. While you're Googling, I want to go quickly, go back to Forever Plaid. Since that is so much a part of you... Do you need to go back and re-rehearse or do you just start singing it and organically, you know, where you are in the in the chord? And, you know, does it all kind of come back to you or do you have to revisit each and every time and kind of drill it all again? Oh, my God. 
Great question, because when we did it last summer, I had not done it since 1991. I hadn't done it at all. I directed a couple of productions, but when I left, I was out. And then Larry took over for me. And so Larry and I, Larry Rabin, had played Sparky. And so we were both Sparkies. But Larry had covered Francis originally. And so we were taking turns going back between the Sparky and Francis line. A lot of the Sparky lines came back to me. But like when the musical director, um, Lorna Left's husband, Cole Colin, I always called him Colin. We're back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we have to change the title of this episode. There's no way around it. Colin Pod. (laughs) <laughs> Colin Black. <laughs> sure. <laughs> as usual, as usual, you've really classed it up, Jason. You classed Glass the whole thing up. up. Classy. <laughs> this is a disaster. Girl. Please tell me this isn't your first episode. <laughs> it could be our last one, baby. <laughs> <laughs> you went out with a bang. Call <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Colin. Colin, <laughs> Colin was like, Jason, we really would like to have, <laughs> we'd really like to have a, can you do straight tone for that last note? And like, like in the moments to remember, I don't have straight tones anymore. Their straight tones are not me anymore. And that was so easy. That was like right in the, middle high part of my rate. It was easy. Yeah, of course, anything. And I was like, and when you listen to it, they did a beautiful video that David Engel, editor, director, everything he does, extraordinaire. And uh, you just, you hear my vibrato. It's as straight as it gets. It's as straight as it gets. It's like, holy cast Anthony Newley. (laughs) (laughs) Bras Kelly was Pinky Tuscadero to bring it back. Sorry. Oh, so it's Rafa, not that it's actress. Not. Okay. All right. Okay, so she was okay. So maybe I was mistaken. She was on Happy Days regularly as somebody's girlfriend. You don't believe and now me. you're doing a show with her. When is I this happening? doing a show with her and with Linda Pearl. And she's she's been on everything. She's so good. And it's a story of it's called Tenderly. And it's about Rosemary Clooney when she had a mental breakdown and went into mm. the hospital. This is what this show's about. And we did a reading of it several years ago. And we were like, well, that's bizarre. And I guess they've really worked on it. And I play all the men in her life. It's kind of timely. I mean, we're all on the you verge know, of a nervous breakdown? A little bit. We're all struggling. We're all confronting literally existential questions. So that could be really therapeutic, actually. Could be. I think. Yeah. 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 It's something to do, you know, so it'll be in the fall. We start rehearsals in September. It's live and in person. And I think the audience is socially distanced. But since there's only two of us in yes. the mm-hmm. show, you know, it's not a good business to go into if you're a control freak. No. And again, COVID taught us that, right? Security is an illusion. It is an illusion. So you just have to kind of buckle down and what we're taught to be in the moment. You're forced to be in the moment. If you look beyond that, it's not going to pan out the way you were expecting it to. Yeah. It was a good chance to, you know, I love my Eckhart Tolle. I love Eckhart Tolle in every Mm -hmm. way, shape and form. But the power of Mm -hmm. now is it power like, now is it it's it for acting for living you know it's mm-hmm. just it's just so comforting i just read a couple of pages before i go to bed and it puts me right out but you know, <laughs> it, it's like you don't stop regretting yesterday stop worrying about tomorrow because it's all made up it's mm-hmm. not existent and right. being that moment and it's about accepting not resisting accepting what is Easier said than done, but uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But it's only real if it's real. Well, and it makes you realize how often you do that as a person. Your head takes you to all of these places that might happen, that could happen, that you want to happen, that you want to force to happen. And when the truth is, just if you just stop and take in where you are. It makes you grateful. Well, Jason, I can't thank you enough for being here with us. Oh, you can. I really, I can. What can I do? What can I do to show ben my gratitude? Me, just Venmo me. And now it's time for the five questions. If you love me, you won't ask me them. (laughs) Oh, I'm asking. (laughs) (laughs) 
Tell us something surprising about yourself that most people don't know. <laughs> what don't people know about me? Well, they all know about your colonoscopy coming up. So, boy, that's not <laughs> and your a- anger management issues. That's come out during <laughs> that's this. Kind of huge, isn't it? I talked about my oboe background. Uh, something that they don't know about me. I don't know that I'm allowed to say this, but um, I've been going to Al-Anon all year. And it's been fascinating. And I've gone and I would not have gone. I have a family member that has been having some troubles. And so I went to learn how to get my hands off them and to just figure, you know, how to take care of myself and to understand what they were going through. And uh, I am telling you, I feel like I've changed my my whole mechanism of thinking. Uh, It's really been uh, it's been quite uh, an enlightening year, and it would not have happened had the quarantine uh, not existed. Oh, that, and did it, ch- it change the way you approach everything and everyone in your life? It has changed, yes. Yes. It's been uh, more, even more influential than Eckhart Tolle. It's like a conversation stopper. Number two. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to look back at your 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself or what advice might you give? Uh, be nicer to the writers. I was so hyper concerned about. Alanon has taught you nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. If I had been taking out, if I've been going to Alanon, taking Alanon like a pill, if I've been taking my Alanon, if I've been going to Alanon back then, I would have been nicer to the writers. I mean, I just. I feel like it was so much about my ego, my neuroses, my acting, my me, 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 you know, that I didn't just sit back and sometimes take in like the creators of what, you know, mm. of why I even have this job in the first place and to sit back and laud them and to pick their brains and to, you know, I that's what I would just say. I would say, go out with the writers, go out with the composers, the lyricists, the Lynn Aarons, the Steve Flaherty's, and just find out what the heck is going on in their heads and what they meant when they wrote this and, you know, where my station is in the grand scheme of things to bring it to life on stage. If you could have any talent or ability, what would it be? <sighs> I wish I had any any taste in like interior design. I'm, I just didn't get that gay gene. My husband got it. Thank God. He does the beauty. To tie it all together. Oh my God. What he does. And I just watch him and I'm just like, ugh. anyway, yeah. Design. I wish I had that more. I so admire it with people. And I love when people talk about what they would do and how they see a room and what it needs and all that. And I just, am like, I leave the conversation. <laughs> I admire it, but I just like, mm -hmm. all right. Fourth question. Uh, Do you have a lucky charm? Oh my gosh. We asked these questions of everybody. (laughs) So uh, I just know this was not tailored to you. (laughs) Do you have a lucky charm or a ritual of any kind that you used to use or perhaps still use today? A lucky charm. No. Uh, not needed. It would be redundant. <laughs> um, a ritual. I I do have rituals, but they change through the years. Songs that I sing before a, uh, a show. Like I was singing for the entire year and a half of Wicked, and it became like my good luck song. But when go. I would warm up, I would sing. <laughs> so inappropriate for me, but I love the song so much, I don't even know what to do with myself. That song from Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet, No One Else. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. No one ever needs to hear me sing that song, ever. The moon. It's like the soprano, just diva song. I sang it every night and then I would like freak out like, oh, God, I haven't sung the moon song yet. So I would do it before. And was that more to like test your voice and see if it's there or it just would fill you with these vibrations that got you in a in a place to go on stage and have a great show? Yes. All of the above. Yeah. Because it it was good because, you know, the wizard has to do floaty stuff, you know, that Mm -hmm. or I 
a sentimental, you know, I like so much floatiness. So the moon song was good to like get up there. All right, my friend, last question. If you were a nail polish, what <laughs> color would you be? And what would the cheeky little name be? Silver Fox. You're welcome. We don't know if we're going to entitle this, this podcast Silver Fox or Colonoscopy. <laughs> you should <just>. <laughs> <laughs> or magically delicious. I mean, magically there are delicious. so many avenues we can go down. Oh, don't sour up. <laughs> or semi-colonoscopy. Just things to think about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for this afternoon. I loved it. I love both of you. And uh, I'm so happy to get to see you anytime, Mary Lee. Oh, the same. The same. Long. Every time I see you, you make me happier. Oh, my God. Well, Every I feel time. the same way. And Stephanie, I've only seen you from afar. I think we've met like twice from afar. It's so and strange it, that that has only happened twice. But. Well, it's I, I left New York and came out to L.A. And then shortly after, I think you left L.A. and went to New York. So we were like, you know, two, two ships passing in the moonlight. <laughs> ships or shits? Sorry. Ships. Full circle. And scene. <laughs> Jason, I love you. Be well. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having me, you guys. Yeah. I love this so much. Then don't leave. I don't ever want to leave. I want to do all your podcasts. <laughs> I did a podcast yesterday for this guy, Jim Masters. Do you know him? Mm-mm. Stop asking us if we know people. It's <laughs> not <laughs> polite. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to drop names. How old are that. you and how much do you weigh? And do you happen to know all these people I know, but you don't? <laughs> well, I don't know why he hasn't come to ask you guys to be on his show. I Listen, I do anything. And I was like, I don't know who this guy is. I was so tired yesterday. We were on for two hours and I finally and I was showing him my Robbie Award. I was like, show me what's going on back here. And I'm like, here's my Robbie Awards. It's pathetic. And I turned to him and I went, when is this over? <laughs> I was getting low blood sugar. I was so tired. It's like I was answering like, uh-huh. Just to let you know, it's you, because we've said goodbye lovingly at least four times, and you're still here, Jason. Oh, wait, this <laughs> off, didn't it? I thought we were done. <laughs> Is this still on? Oh, shit. I'm leaving. I hate you. <laughs> I thought you stopped. Saran, you turn this off. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> And now, here's what struck a chord with us. Oh, Mary Lee, Jason Graw is an idiot, and an idiot that you just want to have with you all of the time. I mean, honestly. Isn't he the best? Yes, and I still question. I don't understand how, um, I feel very privileged saying this, how I've made a living in this industry for 35 years and I've never shared a stage with that friggin' idiot. I, I know. want him in my life a little more. He's the best. He's truly, truly the most hysterical guy. When the conversation started and I was trying to describe why his humor is so perfect, what is it? He cracks me up. And the the thing I love about him, though, is how he's so optimistic. There's not that many guys that have been in this business for as long as he has that still maintain this optimistic attitude, you know, and I think that's why I find him so appealing. And he just draws me in. I mean, aside from how utterly hilarious he is. But here's the thing too. His optimism is drenched in sarcasm. It's drenched in this sort of faked, I'm jaded and over this industry, right? So he gives you these little jabs, but you can hear the smile in his eyes. You can hear the sparkle in his spirit that this man still loves everything about what we do. And it made me love everything about what we do even more. He plays that born loser thing, which is cracks me up too. He plays himself down. I just think he's brilliant. And what I, what I love about Jason is, you know, Jason is medicine because laughter is medicine, right? Laughter truly is medicine. It's one of those things. It's a language that connects us 
whether we even speak the same language, it's contagious, right? So, I mean, tears are too, right? So if you see someone crying, you don't need to speak their language to understand what the pain is. But when you see them laughing, it's so contagious. And and the other thing is when you, when you truly laugh with someone, it bonds you. Yeah. You know, but there's actually, there's a nerve that runs it's the longest nerve in our body and it connects oh, here our- Here she goes, listeners, here, go. here she goes. Well, go, go, go. It, it connects our stomach to our brain and it's called the vagus nerve. And it's uh, in yoga, it's the nerve that we say gets your heart speaking to your brain, you know, to try okay. to balance it. So what it does is it uh, controls your parasympathetic nervous system. So it calms your heart rate calms your digestion. It, it keeps you balanced. It keeps you breathing in a steady rate and stuff. So when the vagus nerve is taxed through stress or whatever, one of the cures is singing and the other cure is laughter. You talk so eloquently about the yogi system and the understanding of all your energy levels and stuff. But you know, I speak essentially a six-year-old language, but I do want to share this one little thing because what you were saying kind of aligns. Vivi, last night, we do this thing called highs and lows at the end of our day when we're sitting around the dinner table. And we just want to know, you know, what was the best part of your day and what wasn't the part that was not so great. And so instead of sharing that, she said, why don't we all breathe together? And so she said, let's breathe in with the good, out with the bad. And we did. In with the rose, out with the thorn, and we did, in with the high, out with the low, in with the sunlight, out with the gloomy. I mean, can you take it? She made that up. That is correct. So she sent us almost through like a 45 second meditation. But when she said in with the sunlight, out with the gloomy, I was like, kid, Oh my God. I am so honored to be your mom. But similarly, like that breathing in her little voice and what she deems to be good, quote, bad, in quotes, it was just so beautiful. And I was like, that really connected my head and heart. Those 45 seconds was a complete and total reset. Pretty special. God, that is so special. So rare. What a love bug. So I think we can conclude that Jason Gras and Vivi are good for your health. Oh, gosh. And now that reminds me, I I wonder how his colonoscopy went. Do you think you can check up on that? Because we need a clean bill of health over here. I will. I will. And I'll report back. So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. We'd like to give a big thank you to our assistant editor and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you, Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Ben Walding, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week.